Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to the animated series Star Wars Resistance. Alright, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Radio Dakar. I am your host, Doug Brooks, and if you hear anything in the background, that's because I have a live studio audience today. I have the baby with me. Uh, He is going to watch the show uh, while Mommy goes to pick up Big Brother from school. So, hopefully he won't be too much of a distraction, but I've got his bottle ready if I need to. Alright, today I'm going to be reviewing episode 4 of Resistance, called The High Tower. There's going to be plenty to talk to, uh, talk about on this episode. Uh, I'm going to take a kind of a different route. I'm still going to hit high points like I always do, but I'm going to go a little bit more in depth on a couple of characters who really shined in this episode, and I need to talk about what kind of character development we got with them and what we can expect. Uh, before I get into that, uh, since the last episode, we got some surprise news that there was going to be a new Lego Star Wars series, and I've mentioned on the past uh, episodes, I love the Lego Star Wars, especially Freemaker Adventures. Um, That is just an outstanding show. It ran for two seasons, um, coincided with um, the events of Return of the Jedi. It's on a Disney Now app. Um, It's on, you can maybe find it on YouTube, Uh, but definitely watch Freemaker Adventures. Uh, All-Stars is, um, it's kind of a best of. It's got um, some characters from Freemakers. It's got characters from all the uh, trilogy eras, uh, Rogue One, Solo. It's got something for everybody if you just want to have some carefree fun. Uh, They have already, uh, as of this recording, there are three shorts, only two or three minutes long, on the Disney Now app. They're going to do uh, more episodes. Even though it's not directly related to Resistance or the sequel era per se, I think what... I just love the show so much that what I think I might do is if there's a midwinter break with Resistance, I think I'll just do like a big-time review of All-Stars. Uh, just talk about uh, the, the shorts and uh, whatever full episodes they're going to have. Because it's just something enjoyable. I hope you check it out, and then I will do a recap and review um, later on in the winter. Alright, so moving on to The High Tower. Um, This was written by Stephanie Folsom. And this was our first... Here you go, kid. This was our first episode beyond the original batch we got where we could kind of binge the early episodes. But this is really the first episode that kicks the series into gear and gets us going. Uh, I mean, I love every episode so far. But the first ones were about getting to know the characters and what you know, what kind of things go on at, at the Colossus. You've got the racing and the uh, just day-to-day business and the pirate attacks and the threat of the First Order. But we really get into that here, and it created a great episode that is really going to launch the series forward as far as I'm concerned. I think I'll just run through the high points and then I will get into my discussion of the characters at the end. Uh, That'll probably be the best way to approach it. 
uh, and I say this every week, the art and animation by Amy Beth Christensen and her team is just incredible. Uh, the first thing we get is the Colossus by Moonlight. And, you know, the, the station's all lit up, and there's the moon in the background with the clouds around, but then the power goes out. Except it does a tower, which we find out about. And to see the lights flicker, and then um, the darkness once we uh, move on to uh, Team Fireball's garage, it's just so beautiful. Again, I say that every week, but it the show just looks incredible, especially with the way they've been able to take a stationary thing like the Colossus and make it look beautiful and different just because of time of day or uh, weather conditions and whatever. I, yeah, I'll probably say something about it next week because it's just that great. We get Niku... Um, uh, giving Cass a, a comm link so they can keep in touch. It's it's like kids and their walkie-talkies. Um, uh, on any show, or if you had one when you were growing up, you you get a set of walkie-talkies, and you, you first you make sure they work in the same room, then you go to the next room, and, you know, how far does it work? Does it go down the street? Uh, just good, mindless fun. I'll talk more about him in a minute, but Niku really grew on me this episode. Uh, more so than the previous episodes. Uh, again, we uh, and we had this in the Triple Dark. Um, putting the comm links too close, we, we get feedback and it hurts their ears, but it serves its purpose later on in the episode. Kind of like um, when Kaz ran, accidentally ran feedback through the Nemoidians ship a couple episodes ago. So a nice callback there, and Again, the use of technology. Okay, so, um, we find out the power's out, uh, that they're having to conserve fuel. Um, Captain Doza makes an announcement about it. So, with nothing better to do while the power's out, they go to Aunt Z's. And Kaz orders Cerulean Sour Paste. I don't know if that sounds good or not. Might I, I imagine it tastes kind of lime flavored like like a thick margarita maybe or something I, I, I do like especially without having a bar setting on the Colossus I hope we get more of these little Easter egg drinks that we can fantasize about and hopefully since they have announced there will be an alcoholic establishment at Galaxy's Edge they better recreate these or actually have them there for us to try because I want to go to Batu with my kids in a few years and get a cerulean sour paste. I think that would be a lot of fun. That's one thing I loved about uh, on Star Trek, uh, mostly with Quark's bar on Deep Space Nine. You could get a Rectigino, you could get a Tarkalian tea. All those sounded good. And I know they have a Star Trek bar, I think in Las Vegas, but I've never been. But I'm guessing they came up with what you would think that would be. Anyway, just neat little Easter eggs there. And I will also mention on Bucket's List this week, not so much, well, the video kind of, but if you go on uh, StarWars.com and look at the actual Bucket's List for this episode, they show you a lot of little Easter eggs in Aunt Z's, uh, like what helmets she has on display, some flags, um, her, her tattoo. We finally find out what it is. It's a couple of kitchen utensils with a space waffle, which is a callback to Clone Wars. Uh, 
I mean, I'll mention it again later, but they they have a lot of fun, you can tell, getting little Easter eggs from every era to throw in there, and that way it's something for every fan. So the power is still flickering, going out, and Aunt Z explains it a little more, that um, Captain Doza you know, is expecting a, sh- uh, a visit from the First Order at night, and so th- she thinks it's up to something, and that's why the power is out. And for the first time, we get to hear our barfly speak. He has a couple of lines in this episode. I'm still not sure if uh, he has a name. I don't think he does. Um, but it, it's, I, I just love him as a recurring character. I went in-depth on it, I think, first or second episode. Every show with a bar has to have a barfly. So I'm glad he's on there. But he spoke. And then, uh, I thought it was a nice visual right before the, at the end of the cold open. Um, Anzi makes this really ominous statement about Doza and the First Order, and then Kaz had the, has this really contemplative look on his face right as the lights flicker, just straight out of you know a mystery movie or something like that. So that was cool. Um, so, and I'll get into this more later. I have said, I think it was on the Triple Dark review, my early candidate for the First Order collaborator is Tam. I feel even more confident about it after this episode. Because when they come back from the title intro, uh, Kaz, Niku, and um, Tam are sitting down having their drinks. And... They're talking about the First Order, and then Niku says, well, I've never met someone for the First Order that I know of. Go back and watch that, and then watch Tam's reaction to him. She's... Just look at her eyes, because she's really thinking about it without showing an emotional reaction. Maybe that's just me, maybe I'm reading too much into it, and then it's a red herring. But the way she looks at him when he says that, it's like, yeah, you've met First Order, pal. You just don't know it. Um, oh, and uh, Niku's water bottle has quickly become popular on Twitter, I've noticed. I, I, I thought it was unusual that, you know, Tam and Kaz would have their sour paste in uh, just regular glasses or cups, and then Niku gets this big bottle. I think of it as a sippy. Because he's kind of childlike anyway, so it makes sense that he would take a little more comfort in a sippy. A good friend of mine, who's also a huge Star Wars fan, he he said that's why he loved getting coffee in um, with the little plastic lid and all that, like at uh, gas stations and everything, because it's the closest you're going to come as an adult to using a sippy. So it it's really cute, and they could sell... Niku's bottle and make a good good amount of money off that too. Maybe that's something they'll sell at Galaxy's Edge. And then we get Hype Phazon coming into Aunt Z's, which is a little unexpected. But there he is. Kaz wants to go talk to him, of course. We find out a little a little history with Hype and Tam, but I'm going to save that for later. When Kaz... Um, introduces himself to 
hype. He recognizes him as the one who raced against Tor in the recruit. And he made an interesting... Uh, when Kaz mentions that he's working under Jarek Yeager, hype made an interesting comment about Yeager. He said, that man can fly. Again, it goes back to this history that Yeager has that we should be finding out more. Um, without spoiling it, I, at the end of last episode, I did read all those episode synopses for what's coming in November. One of them doesn't, and it's on the buckets list with um, uh, who is Yeager. Uh, he's, he has that, ra- that racing past. Um, so you want to find out, like, why isn't he anymore? Uh, that's a question I would like answered. Uh, speak, uh, speaking of answered questions, um, I brought up the point last week, do the sky rings change configuration to allow for different types of races? And I did tweet to Doc Wyatt, one of the writers, and he said, yes, they do change configuration. So you can have different types of races, I'm guessing different degrees of difficulty. And that was kind of emphasized in the Who is Yeager. Um, oh, it was the Resistance Rewind, uh, the, Who, the Who is Yeager. And it's on Star Wars's YouTube site. Uh, you do see a shot of him in what is apparently his um, racer, which I questioned last week since we didn't actually see it. You know, does he have a racer? Turns out he does. And there was a sky ring in really high orbit, like almost into space. So that kind of reinforced what Doc told me that, yeah, it looks like there's going to be a maybe at the, um, in about four episodes, five, there will be a very difficult race that involves suborbital flying into one of the rings. And it looks like Yeager does have a ship. So there's a lot to learn about Yeager. Even though he wasn't in this episode, at least we got little references to him. Uh, skipping over the stuff about hype for now. Um, Kaz wants to go... When he finds out there is a... Somebody's happy. Uh, when Kaz finds out there's a, um, a shipment coming in tonight, and those can be escorted by the Aces, he wants to go do a little spying. Um, see if there's anything involved with the First Order. And so, as part of his cover story, um, they pretend that BB-8 is low on power. Uh, my oldest got a kick out of that when BB-8 just turns over. He's like, why is he doing that? It's like, well, he's pretending he needs to charge. Because he understands about, you know, electronics having to charge. Um, he hates it when the PlayStation controller goes dead. <laughs> so, he, he really liked that visual of BB-8, like, leaning over and then having to be uprighted. Uh, so that he could go watch the um, watch the aces in the shipment. Getting back to the visuals, um, you say what you want about Attack of the Clones. Uh, I know it's not highly revered by some, uh, even though some people love that movie. On a side note, I love Attack of the Clones because it's the closest we've gotten so far in the movies to a day in the life of a Jedi. Because it was Obi-Wan and Anakin being sent on their assignments, uh, you know, doing, you know, what they do on different levels of levels of Coruscant. Um, getting to see them all in action at the end. Yeah, I, I, I love that movie. I love all the Star Wars movies. But just a side note, I know it gets, you know, it's the easiest to pick on, perhaps. 
But I would think most people can agree that the opening of Attack of the Clones is beautiful because when they fly the Naboo ships onto Coruscant, but it's foggy, and there's a very ominous feeling as they land on the landing platform, you can't really see much, and then the bombing. Um, they kind of repli replicated that here when the Aces bring in the um, uh, the shipment on that um, trucker, I guess you could say, um, as it emerges through the clouds, and then that, that tracking shot of Freya going underneath and then coming up over and getting into position to guide in uh, that ship. Man, that, that's that's just beautiful for a 2D animation show. Um, I can't say enough good things about that. Yeah, I, 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 you know, you liked it too. It looked beautiful. Um, see, I, I just had to point that out. Um, you know, they're flying through the clouds, and then it breaks open, and you see the, the Colossus yet again, another beautiful shot out on the moonlit water. Okay, so this leads to just a, a hilarious thing. And, you know, I, I talked at the end of the first, during my review of the recruit, I liked Niku, but my my worry was that it would there would be too many situations where there's a misunderstanding because he takes things literally, and then it leads to the big ordeal of the episode. Um, it was really obvious in that first episode where he really thinks that Kaz is the uh, best pilot in the galaxy, and he tells tells people that, and it just spreads to the point where he has to go race. Uh, the next two episodes weren't like that. Uh, I was, you know, he, he was being literal in some cases, but it wasn't, you know, anything that like too detrimental to Kaz. Now, okay, so he does take something literal here, but I loved it just because of what it led to. It, it didn't directly, you know, cause them trouble for the rest of the episode, but that immediate scene was just too hilarious to not enjoy. Uh, when Kaz says he wants to find out what the First Order is up to, so Nico just goes and asks, Hello, First Order. Uh, and then Kaz is trying to catch up to him, and he's down in the hallway like, No, no, I, I, I didn't do this. And then Niku uses the comm link in the same room to tell them, uh, they tell me I'm not authorized to be here. That whole scene was just great. Uh, now, if, if it's something like that where, yeah, there's a misunderstanding and, you know, it's resolved by the end of that scene, that's great. That, that's a great use of Niku. Um, so, yes, I love that scene. thought it was hilarious. It also took me back um, when, you know, the First Order is just marching through and one of the stormtroopers tells him he tells Niku he's not authorized to be there. Um, if any of you have gone to Hollywood Studios at Walt Disney World lately, they have First Order stormtroopers on patrol, and they just walk through and um, you know tell you to move um, to wait in designated areas and not to hang out. Uh, they, sometimes they check for ID. Um, when, my oldest was just having a ball, uh, like, hey, look, they're over there, let's go get them, and, you know, we're waiting in line for, uh, one of the, um, presentations in the Star Wars area, and, you know, they walk up and start to, you know, um, 
try to intimidate. Uh, it, it's just a really cool thing they do. But and I I posted it on my Instagram and Twitter. Um, I actually filmed him like cause he he was trying to be all tough to the stormtroopers anyway because he was dressed as Han Solo and he was just standing there and you know facing off against them and they're telling other people to disperse. Um, so for a number of reasons, I just loved the hallway scene with Nico and the First Order. It took me back to our visit to Disney and that's an effective use of his type of humor on the show. So I really enjoyed it. All right. So after a conversation with hype, um, we get taken up to the aces lounge on Doza tower for the first time. And immediately you notice how the colors are so much brighter and cleaner up there. Again, I, I've talked about it for a couple episodes now. The ch- the difference in color based on what's going on, um, you know, white and just bright, um, everything so clean. And they pointed out on a bucket list, like the further down you go into the Colossus, that's when the dirtier and the dingier gets, the darker. And I love the little touch that their server droids are painted to look like they're wearing tuxedos. I didn't even notice that in the first viewing, but it's it's a nice touch. I also thought it was kind of neat. You know, here we've had the view of the tower from the lower decks from Aunt Z's, and then Tam looks out and sees the the, the reverse view. Um, so, you know, a lot going through her head, like, oh, you know, what do they, th- you know, what do they think to look down there? <laughs> now, again, credit to the animators. For one thing, Kaz's facial expressions throughout the episode were just great. But the old classic trope of conversation in the foreground, and you're trying to concentrate on that, and then all the stuff's happening in the background. When Tam and Hype are talking, and then like their conversation is so intense you don't notice, but I had to go back and review it. There's Kaz trying to sneak off to go see what the First Order is up to in the background. So he's kind of tiptoeing away, and then he darts around a corner. And then Hype's like, where's your friend? I mean, just... Just great. I mean, old tricks are the best tricks, I guess. Um, and then, I gotta give credit, you know, I talked last week... Kaz is making an effort to, even though he may not think he is, he's becoming a better mechanic. He's also becoming a better spy. Because the trick, you know, because he had taken Niku's comlink when he got frustrated in the First Order hallway part, he realizes he has both, so he sets one on the server droid's tray so that he'll go into Doza's office. I mean, that's good on you know, on-the-spot thinking, I was like, how am I going to get in there and listen in? Oh, I can do this. So, that's good. It shows his progression as a spy that he had that quick thinking to put the other comlink on there. So there's there's a lot to chew on in uh, the conversation between Major Von Reg and Captain Doza um, in, the, in the office. Uh, it brought to light more of what we learned in 
He's just having a good time. He's just hanging out. You enjoying the show, buddy? Good. Um, but it, all the stuff we learned about the pirates um, attacking um, the Colossus as a way for to weaken it, and then the First Order would step in and offer protection. You know, that's you know. Here's you know what's the next step. You know it's only two episodes later, and they're, they're showing up saying, "Look, you're getting attacked by pirates. So we're here. To, you know you can hand over control to us." And you know it start, the official Twitter was trying to tease like, "Whose side is Dozer really on?" I mean, it's. I think it was really clear he is not. He doesn't want to work with the First Order. Yes, he says some shady, shady dealings, and Von Rag even said that. He said, "You've had numerous dealings with the criminal underworld." So Doza is clearly not above money laundering or making a you know shady deal or whatever like that. He's just not ready to take that step to the first order. And as Cass finds out, I mean, he may be he's being pushed that way um, with the bribe of fuel and protection. And and Von Rag even said, you know, the aces are not enough. And I pointed that out in my review of the Triple Dark, you know, they were going, they were losing at the point when Kaz came up with the, the feedback idea over their uh, communications. So, you know, Doza may yet crack to where he has to. Um, so Kaz gets to hear all that, and, you know, he's going to report back to Poe with that. But then, you know, Another callback, the feedback on the comlinks causes the stormtroopers to notice Kaz because the droid walks back by him. And then, maybe for the first time in the sequel era, we do see that indeed First Order stormtroopers do have stun setting on their rifles. Because they're, they're, when Von Rag sends them after Kaz down the hallway, at first they're, they're, they're trying to stun him. Rebels made good use of that setting too. Rather than just have shoot to kill all the time, because really the only time in the movie we saw it was when Leia got captured in a new in a New Hope. But yeah, so it's neat seeing them just try to stun him at first, but then once he was out in the open, they were you'll notice they switched to um, kill setting when they were trying to shoot him off the ledge. But before that, he he goes in he makes his way into Tora's room. And we get tons more Easter eggs. All the dolls and the posters and everything. Um, they're, they're listed on Bucket's List on StarWars.com. So I won't go too much into it. I don't, I don't think there's anything in there that's like, oh, big foreshadowing as of now. But it's just a lot of cool stuff. Um, that It's kind of like um, in Rogue One, uh, Jen had when she was a child, had all these dolls and everything in her room. And they listed all those in the visual dictionary. So, just a lot of fun stuff in there. And then we get, really, our first regular scene with Tora, I guess you could say. Because the only time we've seen her before, she's either fighting off the pirates, or racing, or, you know, kind of trash-talking, being friendly with uh, Kaz in the first one. But this is just I guess more her more in her more natural setting, and it was nice to see Myrna Velasco get to play her like this, 
where it's just a one-on-one -on -one conversation, no ego to it. Um, but in, in the same time, trying to help out Kaz because she seems to be very, very good-hearted, and Myrna plays her that way. Um, and then we get again the classic trope of, "Oh, go out the window before my dad sees you." Um, so another fun scene. Yeah, he's out on the ledge. And now we get to uh, my oldest son's favorite part. I mean, it would have been great enough if it was just Kaz having to run across the ledge and not fall uh, while being shot at. But then you get the amazing additive of Niku sees him from Aunt Z's. And that's a good, you know, callback from when Tam was looking that way before so you, you know that you can see between the two so then not only are Tam and Niku watching Kaz do this but then Anzi starts taking bets on whether or not he'll fall and so you have the entire bar cheering and gasping as he does all his moves and I on first viewing I thought this was a great scene just tremendous action but then my son uh, just started cheering. He was like, "Go, Kaz! Go, Kaz!" And yeah, he was just so into it. And then by the time Kaz ma makes it through, and everybody, you know, is cheering and relieved, and so was my son. He was like, "Yeah, you made it." So, just a super fun sequence. Um, you know, it's got the danger. It's got the humor. Um, I mean, that's what you want out of a show like this. So, just great job all around to everybody. Uh, all right, so then uh, we do get a wrap-up with um, Captain Doza. You know, they use the cover story of um, it was just a friend visiting Tora so that Von Reg won't, you know, uh, press the issue. And, uh, oh, I looked it up. Um, on the oh, closing credits, uh actor named Jason Hightower plays Captain Doza. And I thought he, he was very good on, on the role. And then Lex Lang, we've heard him as Von Reg before, but this was his first chance to really take over a scene. I, I would love to have seen the recording if those two guys were in the same room when they were doing this, because you could just feel the tension between the two of them, and that was that was really neat. Great work from both of them. And then Von Reg, you know, mentions, oh, nothing goes on here that we don't know about. Um, and then, you know, Doza looks at the security camera and sees Kaz hanging from the side during the, the chase. So, uh, that's an important thing. We, we finish this episode with both the First Order and Captain Doza having their suspicions about Kaz and what he's up to. So, I mean, I was a little surprised that both parties would you know, start to put him in focus uh, in just the fourth episode. Yeah, you know, I thought it might maybe draw it a bit longer, like maybe Doza would have suspicions of somebody uh, spying around, but he wasn't sure who it was, and then, you know, there'd be a couple of false su uh, suspects. But no, they both are on the trail now. So we'll see how that plays out uh, from both sides. And it you know, it looks like Tora 
even though she made it clear she doesn't have any feelings for Kaz, I mean, she is still friendly towards him, and I think will be willing to help him, maybe even if it means going up against her dad. Who, and this is, you know, kind of dark, but I think Captain Dosa dies at some point. Um, maybe is assassinated or something like that, and then Tor will have to deal with that. Um, I, just, I just think... That, you know, we've already talked about, you know, they're going to have to deal with the aftermath of Hosnian Prime at some point on this season. Um, so Kaz either will have to deal with the death of his father, or I think he may be a First Order collaborator or sympathizer. But I think um, if there's going to be any sort of hostility and possible takeover of the Colossus, um, which could be like a cliffhanger for the season one or something, I think the death of Captain Doza would make sense, even though it would be sad. And then Tori would have to deal with that. So that's, my, you know, me going through the episode. But let's go back and talk about, to me, the standouts from the episode, Tam and Hype. Again, I've, I've mentioned it, you know, on this episode, that I think this episode just worked to reinforce Tam as a solid candidate to be the collaborator with the First Order. And she even made a remark when um, the supply ship landed and they realized that stormtroopers were aboard. Tam made the remark, the First Order is as welcome here as anybody. Well, maybe she's, re I know, maybe she's referring to herself that she was welcomed here even though she's First Order, but she doesn't need them to know that. So I still got my suspicions about her. But it was her relationship with Hype, or the allusion to it, that was really the crux of this episode. Besides the whole, you know, Kaz's spying mission. So it turns out that Hype and Tam, I assume, came aboard the Colossus around the same time and with the aspirations of becoming an ace. And so, uh, you know, the long story short, Hype became one and Tora didn't. Or uh, Tam didn't, sorry. Um... But, you know, there's got to be more to the story, and you just wonder, like, okay, exactly what happened. I really hope that's answered in a future episode. Why did he become an ace and she didn't? What happened? Yeah, I know. Um, so, it, you know, does it have to do with... And, I know, it's a it's very, very complicated subject, because, you know, hype makes, you know, that the reason, whole reason he's at Aunt Z's is because he doesn't want to deal with the First Order. Um, that he has that understanding with Doza. When they're here, he's down here. Um, so, you know, and that's the other big question, and um, again, John Marie Macias wrote about it on CultureHouse.com today. What is Hype's history with the First Order to where he doesn't want to deal with them at all? Um, and I also wonder if... Tam truly is First Order, maybe that has to do with it, and or maybe that's how she became the collaborator, because Hype has his own issues and didn't want to deal with them, but she, they went, maybe they offered him to be the, to, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe Hype was approached by the First Order, and they, they want him to be a collaborator and to infiltrate the Colossus, and he refused them. And then, 
maybe when he became an ace, they turned to Tam because she would be bitter anyway about her situation and they would offer her a better situation once she helped accomplish their mission. Uh, total speculation on my part, um, but that, that I think if she is the collaborator, that makes more sense as to why he doesn't like them and she would, as it turns out, to be sympathetic. Uh, but that's a story for another day. Uh, I'm guessing they'll draw that out. Um, and I will say, okay, Susan McGrath keeps bringing it every episode. You get more and more layers to Tam as we moved on through these four episodes. Uh, she's got, like I say, a lot of layers to that character. And, you know, you see, um, you know, wanting to get back to where she was as a racer on Kuat and uh, the jealousy or the frustration with Kaz being on the team and wanting to get back in the air on the fireball and her issues with hype and uh, her goals of being an ace. Just a lot of complexity to her and Susie's doing an outstanding job demonstrating that. And then for hype, Donald Faison's just knocked it out of the park on this episode because it, just from the previews and the trailer you got you would you got the impression that hype would just be this very one-dimensional flamboyant racer and as it turns out you know he's been winning for two years like all the races um and that was the way it was played out in the first episode even though he didn't speak you know he was just showboating for everybody so you thought oh he's just gonna be this little character here that's gonna be all hype you know, as it says, but Donald played him as a very complex character. You know, you didn't see it coming with his issues with the First Order and wanting to uh, just kind of chill and do his own thing. I mean, you can—he's making an effort to put on a show when he's around other people, like you know who I am, and you know, you know, talking to his fans, and you know, once he. Even when he's around the Aces again, uh, in the lounge, you know, he gets a little more flamboyant and cocky. Um, but when it's just more one-on-one -on -one with Tam and Kaz, I mean, you see there's more to him. That's why I think when the war starts on the series, I, I, I very can easily see hype joining the resistance and becoming a pilot. I think that is where he, his destiny lies. And taking it further than that, I don't know how they're going to handle resistance characters on episode 9. Uh, I haven't even thought to speculate on that yet because they're, they're still filming episode 9. And think back to Rogue One. Uh, we, we got several Rebels Easter eggs in there. Uh, Chopper was in a scene. You saw him. Uh, Hera was paged over the intercom. The ghost fought at the Battle of Scarif, and it was in several shots, if you looked. They even revealed that on one of the commercials. And most of that was done pretty secret. Like, they did their best to hide um, Chopper's cameo, and, you know, Hera was post-production. So I wonder, you know, will they have resistance surprises in Episode Nine? And... Depending on who lives and dies, and you know what, how the story progresses, I could very easily see hype being in episode nine, 
I don't, I don't know who with, maybe Kaz or um, whoever, but I could see him if there's a major space battle. That, that'd be a great place to throw him in if he makes it that far. I think there's that much potential with this character. And, again, outstanding job by Donald Faison. I mean, it's, it's obvious from his interviews. He was so glad to be in Star Wars of any type, and he just, he just knocked it out of the park this episode. Um, yeah, we're going to find out more about Tam and Hype. I don't know when there'll be more resolution on what their history is, but that's what made this episode so meaty, that there's a lot there with these characters, and that was demonstrated as such by the, the voice acting. I think that just about sums it up. Um, again, it, it's a great episode. I might like Triple Dark a little bit better. Um, but, again, this is the first one that feels like it is propelling the story forward with the spying and uh, the First Order and uh, what the overall threat is. You know, this is where the series is going to go. And I can't wait to see what comes of it with all these characters who had their moment to shine so we are back next week with a new episode um, you can find me on social media Instagram Twitter and Facebook at Radio Dakar R-A-D-I-O-D-Q-A-R uh, let me know what you think of the show uh, what you thought of the resistance episode um, any questions um, any suggestions but I will be back next week Thank you. Thank you to my live audience today. Appreciate it, buddy. And I will see you next time. May the Force be with you.